Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends. The monsters! We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Spring has sprung across the Northern Hemisphere, and for many people, the first thing that makes the season official is the sound of bird calls. The birds of the area return from wherever they made their winter home, and their calls fill the wind with music and make the season a living, changing thing. It's no accident that much of folklore and mythology associates birds with rebirth, and no bird is a more iconic symbol of rebirth than the phoenix. They're everywhere, in almost every fantasy story. There's just something about an immortal being that renews itself with fire that most writers just can't resist. After all, we all want immortality and eternal youth, don't we? But what is a phoenix? Where do they come from? Well, to answer that question, let's look at four birds that make up the modern phoenix. The Bennu, the Fenghuan, the Firebird, and the OG Grecian phoenix. Let's start with the Bennu, because I feel like it would be wrong not to. And to start with the Bennu, we need to start at the very beginning. In the beginning, there was nothing. Then, there was some water, the waters of none specifically, and a rock called the Benben. As everyone knows, all you need to attract waterfowl is some water and a rock. And so, after a time, came a bird, flying low over the watery abyss. The bird perched on the rock, and, finding it a particularly good rock, did what birds do. It issued a call, and this call determined the nature of creation, of everything that was and was not to be. This was the Bennu bird. The ancient Egyptians were as fond of titles as any other ancient civilization, and so the Bennu bird has a couple of titles, such as, He Who Came Into Being By Himself, and the Lord of Jubilees. The second title is not a reference to how awesome a party the Bennu bird can throw, though, but rather a reference to the bird's cycle of renewal. The ancient Egyptians believed the bird renewed himself roughly every 49 years. Not by dying in an inferno, though, like the classic phoenix, because the Bennu doesn't actually need to die to be renewed. You see, the Bennu bird was considered to be the Ba, or soul, of the sun god Ra. In the ancient Egyptian understanding of being, humans and gods have nine parts to their essence. The Kat, or physical body, the Sa, or spiritual body, the Ab, which is the heart, the Ka, the living essence, the Ba, the soul, the Kaibit, or shadow, the Ku, which is intelligence, the Sekem, form, Ren, or name, and the Ak, which is the immortal combination of the Ba and Ka. This is all to say that, because the Bennu is considered to be the soul of Ra made physical, to be renewed, all the Bennu has to do is to fly to Heliopolis, the capital for worship of solar deities, and perch on the Persea tree there and bask under the sun. 
And, unlike being immolated alive, this is a pretty easy task to accomplish for the Bennu, because he is said to appear underneath the rising sun each day. Because of the Bennu's continual renewal, not only was he associated with Ra, he was also associated with Osiris, who is also associated with Ra, because when you come back from being chopped up into pieces by your jealous brother Set, you get all the immortal bird and rising sun titles you want. So we've described what he is, but what does the Bennu bird look like? Well, for a long time, the Bennu bird looked pretty surprisingly ordinary for an immortal sunbird. Originally, the iconography of Heliopolis depicted the Bennu as a yellow wagtail, which was one of many animals associated with Atum, the king of gods. Yet another god associated with this very popular immortal bird. Now, the wagtail is a charming shorebird that can often be found on rocks, wagging its tail as it hunts for flies to snack on, and there's nothing wrong with that. Except that not only is a wagtail not a very impressive bird plumage-wise, it's also not a very big bird, which can be a problem if you're trying to depict your immortal creation bird as impressive and resplendent. So, by the New Kingdom, the Bennu bird had become a great grey-coloured heron with a long beak and a two-feathered crest. This depiction was so specific, in fact, that when ornithologists found the remains of a large extinct heron, dating back to the Ulm al-Nar period, 2500 to 2000 BCE, they determined that this species was probably the inspiration for the depiction of the Bennu bird. So, they did the only thing they could do, and named the species the Bennu heron, making the Bennu truly he who came into being by himself. Now, where things become confused between the Bennu and the Phoenix is around the 5th century BC, where Herodotus starts running his mouth. Herodotus claims in his history that the people of Heliopolis describe a bird to him that lived for 500 years before dying, at which point it arose from its original corpse, constructed a funerary egg out of myrrh for said original corpse, and carried its own body to the Temple of the Sun at Heliopolis. He then calls this bird a Bennu, and describes it as eagle-like in appearance with red and gold plumage, reminiscent of the sun. Because the name Bennu is related to the verb weben, meaning to rise, or rise in brilliance, it's thought that this description, as well as the Bennu's association with the sun, and through association fire, led to the original phoenix, because, as Egyptian scholars point out, the Bennu doesn't actually ever die in its original source material, and its plumage is grey rather than red and gold. From Egypt, let's go to China, to meet two birds that literally became one. The Fengwan, which is also known as the Oo in Japan, is the mythological king of birds in East Asia. Unlike the Bennu, more than one Fenwan exists, and originally the species was sexually dimorphic, with the Fen being the male of the species and the Wan being the female of the species. Fun fact, if you're looking at ancient art of the Fenwan, you can tell which is male and which is female based on the number of tail feathers, with male Fen possessing five tail feathers and female Wan possessing two. 
In modern times, however, the fenwan has become an all-female species, primarily because of the popularity of pairing the fenwan with the Chinese dragon, which is traditionally believed to be male. The fenwan is believed to have originated in the sun, and its body is said to symbolize the celestial bodies, with the head being the sky, the eyes representing the sun, the back the moon, the wings representing the wind, the feet the earth, and the tail all the planets. This makes more sense in the original depiction of the fenwan, as traditionally the bird is composed of the beak of a rooster, the face of a swallow, the forehead of a fowl, the neck of a snake, the breast of a goose, the back of a tortoise, the hindquarters of a stag, and the tail of a fish. This episode has a lot of lists. With the influence of the Greek phoenix, however, the fenwan is a composition of birds only, with the golden pheasant, mandarin duck, peacock, crane, parrot, and swallow all lending their powers to create Captain Fenwan, the world's best bird. While the species that make up the fenwan may have changed, though, its dress code has remained to a strict five colors, black, white, red, green, and yellow, which are said to represent the Confucian virtues of benevolence, honesty, knowledge, integrity, and respectability. When it comes to mythical creature building, the Chinese don't do anything by halves. The fenwan is occasionally depicted with fire or a fireball, which is where it gets associated with the phoenix, but this bird's deal is less about immortality and more about representing divine virtue. The fenwan is still immortal, of course, but the focus is not that the bird lives forever, rather that as a divine creature it will only appear in places blessed with peace and prosperity. In addition, when the fenwan is paired with a dragon, it symbolizes a yin and yang metaphor about blissful marriages. So, if you've ever thought about phoenixes as being creatures that were exclusively female, or divine, it's possible you were getting some influence from the fenwan. If you've ever thought of a phoenix as a bird with glowing fiery plumage, then let me direct you to the firebird, influence number three that makes up the modern-day phoenix. The firebird comes straight from Slavic folklore, and is arguably the most bird-like of creatures seen so far, in that it doesn't really represent some grand idea, it's just a very desirable glowing bird from an unspecified faraway land. Usually, the firebird is described as a large bird with majestic plumage that glows yellow, orange, and red, and more modern depictions often detail the firebird as a smaller, flame-colored peacock, presumably because peacock tail feathers make any bird look cooler, especially if that bird happens to look like it's always on fire. Now, the neat thing about firebird feathers, and the reason they're so highly sought after, is that they glow even when separated from the bird, and just one feather glows brightly enough to light a large room by itself. In folktales involving the firebird, a single feather is usually found or obtained by the hero, and that's usually what begins all the trouble. The hero presents the feather to the king or another authority figure, and said authority figure then demands the hero retrieve the bird at all costs. It's unknown if the firebird lives forever, 
but it's suspected that it can see the future, and it's generally tied to royalty, sometimes belonging to a king in a faraway land, and usually tied to a princess figure in one way or another. Unlike the Fenwan and the Bennu, it doesn't really care to represent virtue or divinity, and in several Firebird legends it can be captured by scattering corn or sleeping in the orchard to see what's stealing the golden apples from the king. Our last guest is the original Grecian phoenix. The phoenix dates to at least the 5th century. As mentioned in the earlier Herodotus story, the Grecians who were first talking about the phoenix claimed it was from Egypt, and is a bird that lives for around 500 years at a time, before dying and making a comeback in the most dramatic way. In some myths, it's reborn from its own decayed corpse, but because of its connection to the sun, in most myths the phoenix makes itself a funeral pyre and burns to death, rising from its own ashes to start the 500-year cycle again. Truly an icon of self-improvement. Generally, this rebirth is the phoenix's big superpower, but this creature has since also become associated with the empire, the transfer of the soul after death, resurrection, time, virginity, and royalty. The virginity thing can be linked to a section of Henry VIII by William Shakespeare, wrote to flatter Elizabeth I, but the original connection of the phoenix to royalty is interesting. You see, in Greece and Rome, the phoenix was sometimes associated with the Phoenicians, a civilization with a similar sounding name that was famous for its production of purple dye from conch shells. Because of the difficulty of producing this purple dye from conch shells, purple was a costly color, and the color became reserved for royalty. In the 7th century CE, the Archbishop of Seville stumbles across the association of phoenixes and Phoenicia in ancient texts, and suggested the phoenix must have been named for its red-purple plumage and so starts the trend of royalty in the Middle Ages associating themselves with the immortal, expensively colored bird. Now, this red-purple plumage description comes a little late in the game, so maybe some of you are wondering what the original phoenix was described like. Well, I can tell you this. Across all accounts, it looks like an eagle. Sometimes it's the same size as an eagle, sometimes it's as big as an ostrich, and sometimes with a crest, but the general consensus was predatory bird in appearance. From there, the plumage is a matter of debate. Our earlier account from Herodotus says the phoenix has gold and red plumage. Some scholars claim it was colored like a peacock. He, of the amazing title, Ezekiel the Dramatist, claimed the phoenix had red legs and golden eyes. The most detailed description comes from an early Christian author, who writes the phoenix has eyes as blue as sapphires and legs covered in scales of yellow gold that end in rose-colored talons. Most people just go with Herodotus' description. The red-gold plumage as well as the rebirth through fire means that early art often depicted the phoenix with a seven-pointed nimbus around it, much like Apollo and this trend has resulted in the phoenix almost always being illustrated in association with fire. So it's easy to see how from there, if someone came across a picture of a firebird, 
it wouldn't be hard to think the glowing flame-colored bird was a phoenix. Because of the similarity of the phoenix to birds like the firebird, the fen wan, and the bennu, the phoenix has become something of a catch-all for an immortal bird associated with fire. And that's both good and bad in its own way. For example, Fox, the phoenix in Harry Potter, who is modeled to look like a harpy eagle meshed with a peacock in the movies, is not actually a phoenix if we're just talking about the Grecian phoenix, but more like a firebird phoenix fenwan mashup, complete with glowing feathers, the ability to be reborn after burning alive, and a divine aspect of appearing from heaven to grant power to those deemed worthy. And that's very cool. But I think it's high time for the resurrection of the Bennu, the Fenwan, and the Firebird as separate entities. Don't you? After all, why settle for one immortal bird when you can have four? That's all this week for Immortal Fiery Birds. If you liked this episode, peck through the show notes for more. Intro and outro music were done by he who came into being by himself, Scott Ethington. Listen to more of the songs that dictate creation at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Special thanks this week to John Toomey for donating. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>